his own record of what happened when he went to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And it's a record of the, of the problems that he and the people who were building those walls faced. And it's also a record of Nehemiah's spiritual journey. His journey of faith. So it's, it's, it is a, it's got lovely, wonderful lessons to teach us of the sort of person that God uses. The sort of person that God uses today and it's a call really to faithful living for God. I've, if it, I've changed my title, that's, that's the title I've given this, Faithful Living for God. And what we find in this chapter are the enemies of the work having another go. And they're led by Tobiah, Sanballat and Geshem which I was thinking to me sounds more like a firm of solicitors, but who actually were very influential leaders of, of different national groups. And they, they had a vested interest, commercial vested interest, in the fact that Jerusalem would never be built. And even though, it's, it's interesting, even though the walls were, well, almost completed, except they hadn't hung the gates, they didn't give up. The enemies didn't give up then. They just, they just changed their focus and they focused on Nehemiah as a person. They focused on the leader. If they could get the leader to fail and to fall, they could still cause havoc in the work. That's true today, isn't it? Satan would seek to cause leaders within the church to fail. That's happened sadly over and over again down the history of the church. And it's brought dis disrepute to, the, to, the, to God, really, through the church in the, in the, in the by the failings of, of the leaders. So please pray. Keep praying for your leaders, your spiritual leaders. What we'll find in this chapter are three challenges that we experience <coughs> along the way in our Christian lives. In fact, th these are three challenges that you will have experienced already. I'm sure that you are experiencing and you will experience along the way. First of all, there's the challenge of compromise. Verse 1 and 2. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had, not, I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. What they were doing is, that they, were, they, were, they were trying to get Sambalat to leave the work. They were saying, Come, come to this neutral spot, Let's talk. Let, let's have a dialogue about what's happening. And no doubt, un, un, undoubtedly, it must have seemed to have been a very enticing offer. A very temptation, a, a temptation that was reasonable. And, and a temptation that was attractive. Temptation is like that, isn't it? Otherwise we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be tempted <laughs> if temptation wasn't attractive. I mean, I am never tempted to gorge myself on a plate of olives. <laughs> I 
can't stand them. They're awful. But if it's a plate of treacle pudding, now that's different for me. Now for you it might be a plate of olives, I don't know. But temptation has got to be attractive, otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't fall for it. And it would have been easy for Nehemiah to have given in to this. You know, to have, to have thought, well, the, the wall's n- nearly complete. What, what harm can be done? It, it's an opportunity to build bridges. With these enemies, maybe they've mellowed. May, maybe they've softened a bit. Let, let's, let's, have a, yeah, let's have a dialogue. Let's talk about this. But not a bit of it. He didn't relax. He didn't let his guard down. He didn't allow himself to be caught off guard. And, and neither must we in the spiritual battle. I was thinking of how easy it is, especially when you've had some blessing and success to let your guard down. It's been said that many a careless Christian has won the battle, but afterwards lost the victory. We've got to be on our guard. We cannot take our spiritual armour off. And, and that's especially so if you've given out energy in God's work. Or you've been blessed in some way. There's been spiritual, emotional energy given out maybe. I was thinking of Elijah. He had to learn that, didn't he? Remember Elijah, Mount Carmel, fire of God came down. Wonderful answers to prayer. And then he had to leave the mountaintop. And for him, he went into the valley. For him, it meant depression. It It meant real attack. And yet God taught him a vital lesson through that to rest in God. And to find rest. Not, not, of course, I don't think we should be paranoid just because we're blessed we're going to get a rotten time and, and it, we've got to be always on our guard like that. But I think we have to be wise as Christians. Remember, we have to watch and pray after the victory as well as before the victory. So th- there was this offer from the protagonists against the work of the rebuilding. And it must have been a tempting offer. But Nehemiah, he he was wise enough to discern what lay behind the offer. Verse 2 at the end, it says, But they sought to do me harm. He recognized, actually, they were were planning to kill him. That's, That's basically what they were doing. And his response was blunt and straightforward. They wanted to meet on the plain of Ono, and he said, oh no. <laughs> I sent messengers, and look at, look at verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So, so he recognized, it, it was a trap. He, he recognized that this, this was a, a, a trap to compromise and to leave the work that God had called him to do and to finish. Compromise with sin or with anything that is against God's will for us is wrong. And it comes from the enemy of our soul. Anything that would take us away from God's will for me. We have to stand firm as believers. I have to stand firm against any such 
compromise. Anything that is of the world, if you like, that isn't, isn't holy, that, that isn't pure, that isn't right. This, it's interesting, this attack wasn't like the last attack that was orchestrated by Tobiah and Sambalat. Before, the one before was an open attack. And if you remember, that the, the people had to, while they were working, they had to put shields and, and they had to have the swords nearby. They had to be ready for a physical attack. It was, it was a very uh, overt attack that they were facing. But here, the, the attack comes much more subtly. Let's have a chat, you know. Let's meet. Let's talk peace. And it was designed to get Nehemiah off his guard. And I, isn't, isn't it the little things, the subtle things, often where we fall and fail? That's those are the areas we have to be on our guard against. You know, a great tree rarely falls with one swing of the axe. It falls when there's been a chip here and a chip there and a chip here and a chip and, and, and then eventually the, f the tree falls. That's true in the spiritual realm. You know, great falls, spiritually speaking, don't, don't often occur without there being a weakening process before. That's why we have to guard ourselves with those small areas in our lives. Small areas, that little compromise with dishonesty. Just a small thing. Didn't really matter, but it makes it easier the next time. And then the next time. Maybe what you allow or I allow to watch on television or what we read. And we're not careful enough to say no, so the boundary moves a little bit more and a little bit more. That you, we, we harbour that little resentment that we don't deal with against someone. Or maybe a bit of envy that about some, what someone has or their circumstances, maybe what they're going through. We, we, we sort of, we'd like that, we'd like that, we really would like that. And we don't guard our hearts against the little things. So easily, those things can grow and it becomes easier. That little irritation to get on top, that irritation that gets on top of us rather, and, it, and, and we don't bring it to God. And, and so it, it, it can fester. The same thing happens the next time. Little things like that, an act of purity. We, we, we just give in, we give in to in one little area of impurity. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's opening, it's like the, the, the crack in the dike, isn't it? It, it just opens further things. So how easy it is for little compromises to be buried and not to be dealt with. We need to be clear. We need to be firm. We need to stand firm against those small things. The danger is if things are left unconfessed and unrepented of, that will always lead to a lack of spiritual sensitivity to more sin. And uh, th that's an example of that is uh, another area of compromise that comes at the end of the chapter. Those like that last section, verses 15 to 19. I'll just read from verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. 
for many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. In other words, Tobiah was an Ammonite, but he had married into a well-to-do Jewish family. And it goes on to say, and his son, Jehohanan, which is Tobiah's son, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Meshulam was one of the workers on the wall. That's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 4. And verse 19, also they, that's the Jewish people, the leaders, reported Tobiah's good deeds before me, but they reported my words to him. So they were trying to play both sides. They're reporting things to Nehemiah that Tobiah was saying, but then they were reporting words that Nehemiah said to Tobiah. And if that wasn't enough for Nehemiah to contend with, he finishes this section by saying, verse 19 at the end, and Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So he sent even more letters. So Tobiah's marriage connections had caused these Jewish nobles to side with him and to undermine Nehemiah's leadership. What had happened, you see, their compromise in that area had blinded them to Tobiah and, and to his true intentions. They thought he meant good. They weren't able to distinguish between what was true and what was false. They shouldn't have been cooperating with Tobiah. And they should have seen that cooperating meant resisting God's will. Now that's why any compromise with any sin is so dangerous. It leads to a lack of spiritual insight and sensitivity and dullness and blindness. There's a verse, I sometimes often refer to this because I think it's quite powerful. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 where Peter says this. 1 Peter 2 11, Beloved. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So it's not just a case of, oh, they, they, they cut off my fellowship with God. They actually war against me, spiritually. They battle against us. And so they, they, they'll destroy those things, those compromises with sin, they destroy our joy, our peace, and our usefulness. So we must fight against them. And then in chapter 6, verse 3, we meet, we, we meet the second challenge that we experience along the way. And this is the challenge of perspective. So chapter 6, verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you. God had called him to do this work. He wouldn't be deflected from it because he took God's perspective. He said, this is a great work because it's God-given. He saw things from God's perspective. That's a true perspective. And uh, we need to have that perspective when it comes to God's work and to what we're involved with. You know, whenever God calls us to do something, 
that something becomes a great work because it's God-given. We're serving a great God. Whatever God gives us to do becomes a great work. That, uh, for me, that's borne out in Colossians 3, uh, verse 17, by Paul, writing to the church at Colossae. Colossians 3, verse 17, where he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. When we do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, it means that we're doing it on his authority. We're almost doing it in his stead, as his representative. And that, that, that means that whatever we do for him, that turns that into a great work, because we're doing it for Jesus. It's got the potential to glorify him. So, if you're involved with children's work, or stewarding, or caring for somebody, or visiting, or the music ministry, whatever it is, however small it might seem in the scale of things in the world, that's happening in the world, if, if you're doing it for the Lord, it's a great work. It might be God's call to you to be in the workplace. It might be God's call to you to care for children in the home. If that's what God wants you to do, you can say, this is my great work. And this is what God's called me to do. It's a matter of seeing it from God's perspective. I was reminded of the story told of someone visiting the NASA Space Agency in the 1960s who saw this person, who they assumed was their cleaner, sweeping away. And they said to him, so, so what are you doing? And the reply came back, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. Nehemiah had that same sort of overriding vision. He had a clear perspective that he was doing a great work. And then in uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 11, there's uh, more evidence of this. This time, he, he sees his perspective, God's perspective of him, not just of his work. So verse 11 and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So here, he's tempted to leave the work. This is the prophet Shemaiah trying to get him away, trying to hide away in the temple place actually I think if I understand it right he shouldn't go because he wasn't a priest but he, he refused to do that Nehemiah knew who he was you know he, he knew it wasn't right for him he was the governor he, he was the leader you know he, he was re the representative of the king of Persia and people looked up to him and they looked up to him as an example to take the lead I think I've told this before, of a little boy who was watching his next door neighbour, who was a minister, fixing the trellis to his garden wall. And the minister said to him, Sonny, are you trying to pick up some tips about how to do it? And the boy said, oh no, he said, I'm waiting to see what a vicar says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. 
Well, Nehemiah knew that others were watching him. And he was an example. That he had, influ you know, he, he had influence on others. And you have influence, and I have influence. Whether it be in the family, whether it be in the home, whether it be in your workplace, among your neighbours, or at church. And Nehemiah said this, How could such a man as he flee and cower and hide? You know, what we are makes all the difference as to how we act. What we are, our I true identity, makes all the difference as to how we behave. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians, sorry, in Romans chapter 6 and 1 to 4. Romans 6, 1 to 4. That's his reasoning here. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we, we, continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also <coughs> should walk in newness of life. So what he's saying is, how can I, how can you go on sinning and allow sin to become a habit? That cannot be. We have died in Christ. We have died with Christ. We can't go on sinning because Christ doesn't go on sinning. So we can't be ruled by sin. How can I, a child of God, be overwhelmed by sin? Or by fears? Or by anxieties? Or by unbelief? How can I, a child of God, be overwhelmed by anger? Or hurts? Or unforgiveness? How? I'm a child of God. I'm in Christ. That's who I am. That is so at odds with who I am, my identity. You know, knowing that I'm a child of God makes all the difference. That I've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. I've been delivered from the power of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of the light of his Son, covered over with the robe of righteousness in God's eyes. I, I don't belong to this world. I belong to my heavenly Father and I have a home in heaven. That should totally transform my behaviour and my attitudes and my actions. When Muritus, the poor, impoverished Protestant scholar, was carried into hospital, he overheard the doctors discussing his case in Latin which they did so that their patients wouldn't understand what they were saying. And they were discussing his suitability as a subject for a dangerous experiment that they were anxious to perform. And one of the doctors said to the others, shall we try this experiment on this worthless creature? But Muritus understood them and startled them by asking in fluent Latin, 
Will you call the man worthless for whom Christ died? He knew his true identity, his true worth. And you and I need to always remember that Christ died for us. It means that we are now a child of God. So you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How can I do this? If that's my calling, that's my standing, I'm part of the royal priesthood. You are in Christ, nothing can change that. That is your true identity. And when you have that sort of perspective, then you'll be able to meet the next challenge that we find. And that's, this is the third challenge. And this is the challenge of persevering. Verses 4 to 9. So verse 4, But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. That's rebel against the king of Persia. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come together, therefore, and let us take counsel together. They, they, you see, they tried to wear him down. They, they sent four letters, one after the other after the other. And then they sent an open letter. Now, official letters were always sealed so that people couldn't see them. So it seems they deliberately sent an open letter because they wanted others to see. It was a dis disrespectful thing to do to Nehemiah, to question and undermine his authority. And each time... Nehemiah said no. He wouldn't give in. He persevered. He kept on working until the job was completed. Bruce mentioned about the building and the building project. And God has helped us to keep going. And that is a focus that God's given. It's a God-given focus to see that happen. And I, my prayer is that we all wouldn't need the leaders, as it were, to keep us going focused on that. Our focus would come from our walk with God and seeking God in prayer. And Nehemiah, he gave the same response in verse 11 and 12 when the prophet Shemaiah tried to persuade him. And we read one of these, but let me read it again. And he said, verse 11, and he said, Should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. I love, I love Nehemiah. He, he was determined not to be distracted from completing the work God had given him. It was the evangelist, D.L. Moody, who used to remark, I would rather say this one thing I do than these 40 things I dabble with. And I think that's quite poignant. This one thing I do. What's God given you to do? One thing. Praise the Lord if it's two. But most of us can cope <coughs> with one thing. 
That was true of Nehemiah. Single-minded. Wasn't a quitter. He didn't give in. Didn't give up. He wasn't, even in discouragement, he kept on going. Perseverance is the ability to keep on keeping on despite the setbacks and, di- and despite the discouragements and the difficulties. It's what we're called to do in Hebrews 12, verse 1. We read it in the NIV. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think it was Spurgeon who said, by perseverance, even the snail got into the ark. (laughs) So I may not be the most gifted person or the most talented person, but I know how to persevere. It's a great gift to have, great talent. (coughs) I've noticed from experience that sadly there are many, often many, Christians who give up when the going gets tough. Or they get face setbacks. And it's as though they feel that that's God saying, stop. But so often they're mishearing. It's not God saying that, it's just that they've given up. They feel like giving up. If the Lord's given you something to do, hold on to it. Whatever the circumstances. Don't give up in prayer. Jesus said, ask. My paraphrase, keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Don't give up on seeing that person saved. Never tire of praying for that person. Seeking to be a witness. If you're looking for a job, don't give up. Keep looking. You might have to apply for 20, 30, even 100. Don't give up. Don't give up on that vision God has given you. Maybe you're looking, maybe it's a a marriage partner. Don't give up and you feel that you, you long for that. Don't give up looking if you feel that that's what God would have you. Keep going. Don't give up on that loved one, loved one who you think will never change. Keep going. Keep going. And don't give up on breaking that habit that you've never seen to break. Keep on going. Don't give up. It's God's will for you to break that and to deal with it. I listened recently, I'll I'll sort of bring things to a close with this. I listened recently to a message by a guy called Jeff Mannion. And this was the the UK Willow Creek uh, Conference. And he was speaking about the challenge, what he called the challenge of sameness in Christian ministry. He actually used Samuel in the Old Testament as an example of someone who just kept on going, unspectacularly, just kept on going. And he he took us to a passage in one, you don't need to turn to it, but 1 Samuel 17. So it's actually verse 15 and 16. It says this, And he said, we we can so easily miss this. It's so ordinary that we miss what it says. He said, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah and judged Israel 
in all those places. And his point was, he went on this circuit all the rest of his life, from Mizpah to Gilgal to Bethel. And this is what Jeff Mannion said. He said, this is where this man's life was spent. He did this day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. That was his circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and so on, so on. And he asked a question, he said, what's your circuit that God's called you to do? He said, what is, what is that redundant, repetitive task or responsibility that you bring yourself to again and again and again and again? Is God calling you today to be faithful to that circuit? Is God reminding you of the importance of ordinary obedience? And I like what he said then. He said, your greatest impact just might come from doing very much the same thing again and again and again and again. That's actually the ministry, isn't it? That, that's often like the real hope. Again and again and again and again. Knowing that there is a reward. There is blessing in faithfulness. Don't give up just because it's hard going. Don't give up just because you've hit an unexciting patch. If one thing <coughs> that Nehemiah models, it's faithful consistency. That ability to bring ourselves often to do the same task for the same people again and again and so on. Paul said this, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So don't be deflected. Don't be deterred. Don't be sidetracked from what God has given you. Now, there is a time, I know, to stop doing things. It's not, it's not saying it's never a time to stop doing things. But we need to stop doing things for the right reason when we do. And what was his secret? Last thought, verse 9. Right at the end, he prays this prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I don't know whether Nehemiah was naturally persevering, whether that was a natural trait. But we do know he was reliant on God's power. It wasn't in his own strength. And that is true for you and for me. It's through Christ we can do all things, through him. What a blessing it is, isn't it, as, as God's children, to experience every day a fresh encounter with God's grace, to draw and experience that. An experience of God's grace that enables us not to give in to compromise, to see ourselves as God sees us from his perspective and to see what we're doing from his perspective and to offer ourselves every day and be able to say, God, I'm here. Please use me for your glory. And one day, we'll experience the joy on that day of being able to say, the wall's finished. I've completed the task. Fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your servant Nehemiah and for the things that we are taught through him. Lord, I pray that out of many words you would speak into our lives. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of serving you. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've called us to do and to accomplish. And Lord, as we give ourselves to your work and we maybe face many obstacles that the enemy would place in our path, help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that we might experience today that fresh touch of your spirit, breathing upon us, empowering us, we pray, to meet the challenges we face, not to compromise in any way with any sin, Lord, to always seek to see things as you see, thing, see things from your perspective and to persevere in what you have given us. Lord, help us not to allow the enemy to deter us or distract us. And may we do all of this with joy and thankfulness. So, Lord, bless us, we pray. Help us take to heart these things and to thank you with a to come with a thankful heart for all that you have done for us in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to respond by singing this song, and I've chosen a song actually, which is trying to wrestle with what song to sing. But th this uh, this is a song about strength, the strength that God gives, and that we're to rise up in His strength. Or church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ, our Captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. Let's, uh, yeah, let's use this to respond, shall we? And uh, to declare that we're trusting in the Lord. Let's stand to sing.